Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, this is Steve Silver with Silver Screen Videos, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. are listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're listening, because we got more Cal's Revenge for you. Just so you know, they got little brain implants that control an advanced military prototype. That's all you need to know so far. All right, let's catch up on our favorite space pirates. The crew gathered around the mess hall table. The Citronite wasn't known for its comfort, as the hard metal table matched the hard metal chairs. Granark sat on a mismatched bench because the human-sized chairs were much too small for him. The crew mingled and talked with each other. There were about a dozen crew in all, that had escaped from the prison. They were all from a very mixed amount of species, so the chairs were uncomfortable for everyone. Even Hayden, the only 100% human on board, said they made his ass sore if he sat on them for too long, so no one complained. They gathered in the mess hall to eat and to talk about important mission information. It was the only place in the entire ship big enough for everybody, and Cal wanted to make sure everyone was present before she began the discussion. Cular was the last to arrive. He sat down at the seat next to Cal. Most of the crew never sat next to her at the table, so she got used to sitting at the head of it. It wasn't out of any dislike, but as soon as she became captain, an invisible boundary appeared between her and the crew. If she walked into a room the crew wasn't working, they would start looking busy. They tried to impress her. He even went to her for advice, but rarely as a friend. As a captain, there was a distance between her and her crew. At first, she was worried about the distance the crew had put between themselves and her. After many talks with Hal Null, she was beginning to understand that it was normal. As a leader, she was in a different category. They would not confide everything to her. They needed someone to praise when everything went right and someone to blame when things went wrong. Lucky for her, things had been going right so far. 
She couldn't help but feel a deep sense of nervous energy in the pit of her stomach. The current discussion terrified her. She wasn't quite sure why. They had planned heists before, and even stolen from the Touristicus. She didn't hesitate when Hayden suggested a plan for robbing the Tricor vessel. After a village was slaughtered and she masterminded her escape from prison, fear didn't overwhelm her like it had in the past. It was there every time she went on a mission, but it was manageable and controllable. When most of the crew would show visible signs of being nervous, Cal was always rock solid. However, today was different. She wasn't sure if it was dread or excitement. I'm sure all of you know why we're gathered here today, Cal said. And she then launched into description of her conversation with Maker. She left a lot of the technical details to him. So as you can see, they are quite harmless, Maker said. How do we know they won't transmit our coordinates to the Touristicu? Sular said. Rees nodded in agreement. Rees was a triple-eyed humanoid with two claws, like an earth crab. Even though the claws looked a lot like they were not useful for human-designed interfaces, he was an expert at controlling the crane in the cargo bay. He had a delicate touch and was good with remote-controlled devices. Whenever they had to launch a probe, she would call on Rees to pilot the thing. However, he was always worried about physical confrontation, so he never left the ship much. In fact, some even said he didn't fire a single round in their prison break and had just tagged along with the group, though he claimed that that was not true. Regardless of what role a person had in their prison break, being a part of Cal's crew was a chance to start over. On their first day as a crew together, she gave what would be later called the speech. When they were part of her crew, they were not judged for their past, but by their present actions. Why they were in Tristicure Prison was irrelevant. What mattered was what they did now, and if what they did endangered the crew in any way, Cal would personally press the button on the airlock herself. She hadn't had to do it yet. We don't, Cal said. But if what Maker is telling us is true, then the person with the implant is the one in control of the vessel. One of us will need to get the injection to locate and pilot the ship during the heist. However, if we are successful, then we'll all need injections. I'll do it, Aiden said. No, we can't risk any of you. I'll get the injection. Look, I know you want to be a noble captain and take all the risks, but the fact of the matter is, I'm disposable. You're not. He does have a point, Granorx added. Another crewman can run movie night. Thanks for the vote of confidence, Hayden snorted. Anyway, you could all get another pilot. Hell, half the people in here can do piloting with a little training. However, the ship will fall apart without you. Cal looked at the crew. They were nodding with Hayden in agreement. As much as she hated to admit it, he was right. It was a wiser decision to put the ship in one of the crew and put them at risk. If the technology did have a tracker, or if it alerted the Touristicu to their location, they could easily toss Hayden out an airlock, strand him on a planet, or find another way to get him away from the crew. However, they stumbled onto the keys to an advanced ship. It was a risk that was worth taking, and Hayden knew it. After a short discussion and a vote, it was decided. Hayden would receive the first implant, and there's little point in discussing the next steps because they didn't know if the implant required proximity to the ship to function. They also didn't know where the ship was being stored, so they couldn't plan its liberation. The only step involved giving Hayden the injection and hoping his brain didn't get scrambled. The next day, they were all sitting around the mess hall 
taking a meal together. Maker wasn't at the table, which wasn't unusual. He'd often skip meals because he was too curious about one topic or another and forgot to come out at mealtime. During their first months as crew, Cal would send someone to fetch him, and he'd always say that he'd be there in a moment, and of course the moment never came because he would always be engrossed with his research. It was a rare occasion when Maker would eat with the crew. Hayden seemed to be doing fine. He had injected himself with implant the previous day and didn't seem to be suffering any effects. He was eating a noodle dish Sealar had prepared and was engaged in telling the crew about a story from his home world of Earth. The crew was always interested to hear about Earth. Since it was at the heart of the Touristic Empire, most had wild misconceptions about the place. Rumors like the city elite throwing bones to the lower populations weren't true. However, it was like a planet like any other interstellar government seat, mostly urban areas with very little natural world left. Even though the crew's misconceptions about humans were outlandish, there was some truth buried within them. Earth was a monument to inequity. A very small percentage of the humans controlled all the wealth and used that wealth to influence the politics of the UPE. In some sense, the population of Earth was living off the table scraps of the elite. However, it wasn't literal bones, and the population wasn't living in squalor. It's just that most people didn't have much, and while a lucky few had everything, the average Earth citizen also felt disempowered to do anything about it. Even though the UP claimed to be a democratic society, it was run by wealth and built to serve the wealthy. From what Hayden described, most politicians needed a lot of funding to get elected, so they always had to get the backing of large intergalactic corporate interests to get a chance at power. When the worlds like Cal's could serve those corporate interests, it was easy to see how a democratic society would create policies that ravaged her homeworld. It also explained why people like Mackie Arnack were able to get away with the heinous acts. It was easier to ignore injustice for large financial gains. What was one village compared to the wealth of an entire intergalactic empire? It seemed like most of the UP's purpose was to generate more wealth. There didn't seem to be any other consideration about the impact on the peoples these wealth-generating systems created. While Cal had a, no inherent problem with the collection of wealth, it did give her and crew an incentive to innovate, create, and try to become the best damn thieves in the galaxy. She did take issue with generating wealth at any cost. That's why she never allowed her crew to take from those who had less than themselves. Ruben Nar was the first person to learn this lesson on one of their first space station leaves. After they escaped from prison, they got a few odd jobs from Nar's contacts. Nar was a pudgy, bulbous creature with small eyes. He knew a human, a thin man with spectacles, who could get them work. Since they needed cash to get some more decrand because of Dr. Fesslerk didn't keep the ship well fueled, they took the job. It was during the job when Cal noticed that they were stealing crates of fresh vegetables from farmers, a valuable commodity for a space station where space was limited and farm produce was at a premium. The farmers were a small community on a far-off world. The crates were the farmers' livelihood. If Cal had gone through with the job, they would have sentenced the farmers to death because they would have not been able to afford the basic supplies needed to get them through the winter. Because it was a small village, it hit too close to home. 
Cal knew they needed an honor code. Luckily, everyone agreed except Nar. He had torched the harvest so no one could have it. Cal left him stranded on the world and offered farmers a lift to the nearest space station. In thanks, the farmers used their contacts to secure some Decron for Cal's ship that would have been stranded at the station otherwise. Since Nara was most likely dead by winter, he served as a grim reminder of their honor code. Cal was pulled from her thoughts when she heard a gurgling noise. Hayden looked like he was choking. Granork did the Heimlich maneuver and probably broke Hayden's ribs. The human began to flail and shake. His eyes rolled into the back of his head and he foamed at the mouth. He's not choking, Cal yelled. Lay him on the table. The crew tossed the metal dishes on the floor. They clathered to the ground and noodles scattered everywhere. Granork lifted Hayden up to the table. Somebody get Maker, Cal yelled. Reese ran out of the room to comply. Hayden's chest heaved and his back arched. He breathed in large gasps and his face was strained. Veins popped out on his forehead and he cried out in pain. By the time Reese came back with Maker, the episode was over. Hayden remained unconscious and sucked in short bursts. What happened? Maker asked, curious. Your damn machines are what happened, Grenork said. I must remind you that they aren't my machines but rather the product of the Touristic U research. Enough, Cal said before they got started. Can you do anything to help him? I should get him back to the lab. This could be a normal reaction to the installation. I thought you said they were harmless, C.U.R. yelped. They are harmless. I think you can use harm with pain. There's bound to be some pain when a device attaches to your brain. You dirty lying. I have not lied. Enough, Cal said. Let's get him back to medical. A most prudent form of action, Maker said. Using a force field generator, they floated Hayden down the hallway. They pushed Hayden into a medical lab. There were a few of Maker's experiments on the operating table. Grenork brushed them off, and they clattered to the ground. Maker was about to protest, and then thought better of it. Cal would have had to have a talk with Maker about keeping the medical lab in a state of preparedness for medical emergencies. They lifted Hayden onto the bed. Let's see what is wrong, half Null said as he dragged himself into the lab. As soon as he turned on the scanning equipment, the alarms and warnings sounded. While he was the ship's unofficial doctor, they never really had a medical emergency during the better half of a year that they had been a crew. half Null usually treated most minor burns and scrapes on the spot with the goop that his body naturally produced. There hadn't even been as much as a broken limb since they began, so... The medical lab was unused. The main reason for only having minor injuries was that most of the jobs they had taken since the prison were very small time and barely enough to keep the ship running. They all seemed to be okay with playing it cautious in the beginning and avoiding any big and dangerous scores. They had to learn each other as a crew before they could test their limits. Doubts were beginning to form in Cal's mind about the decision to even test the implant. They had never truly taken any risks, and now they're going to take one of the riskiest missions they could imagine. Cal wondered if her quest for revenge was, get, was the reason why she had given in so easily. She knew it was a bad idea, and they'd never taken so much risk before, but now she had a chance to cause a blow to the man she hated most, and it seemed like she turned a blind eye to the risk. Now Hayden would pay the price. Even though it was only nighttime encounters, now that his life was in danger, she couldn't help but feel that there was something there. Cal was about to call the whole thing off 
and get them to the nearest space station to have the thing removed when Hayden stabilized. His breathing returned to normal, his muscles stopped seizing, the monitor for his heartbeat began at a regular pace. Cal turned to Half Null and said, What'd you do? Nothing, Half Null said. I was simply doing scans. Hayden's eyes popped open and he sat up on the table. He lost what little he had eaten before the attack and Maker steadied him while Half Null did some follow-up scans. His physiology is completely normal, Half Null remarked. It's like nothing happened. Why do I feel like I have the worst hangover I've ever had in my life, Hayden said as he dry heaved some more. We can give you something for that, Half Null said and nodded to Maker who was already preparing an e-needle. Once the medication began to take hold and Hayden wasn't as sick, he was able to talk. I don't feel any different. Like there's no on button in my field of vision or anything. Try thinking about it, Maker suggested. Think of what? Activate the interface, turning on the heads-up display, something to power the implant. Hayden's face folded in thought. He perked up almost immediately and said, Whoa, that is weird. What? What are you seeing? I can see an interface, but it's imposed into my field of vision, Hayden said. He could see the medical lab without trouble, but superimposed over what he was seeing was a display. There were atmospheric readings, flight controls, navigation men menus, fuel ratios, and just about any information a helmsman of a starship could want. There was even a systems menu. Hayden reached out to press the menu with his hand, but, some but it seemed impossibly distant, like it would be out of reach. There's a system menu, but I can't seem to press the button. Remember, Maker said, this is an interface wired into your brain. You probably only need to think of pressing the button. Uh, okay, I'll try. Wait, Cal said. How do you know that Hayden fiddling with the controls won't alert them to our presence? Right now, they think that the implants were lost in the explosion at the Tricor vessel. Won't fiddling around with the ship's system let them know otherwise? So long as there are no measurable changes to the ship, there shouldn't be any harm in looking through the menu. I've piloted tons of ships, Hayden said. It's not like I'm going to activate the thrusters or open the cargo dock on accident. Besides, Maker said, if he's connected to the ship, he may be able to find out the location of it. If we do end up liberating it from the Touristicues, we'll need as much information as possible. Cal nodded in agreement. Uh, do it. Hayden thought about pressing the system button and a drop-down window appeared in his field of view. Hayden noticed an interesting aspect of the display. When a person was talking or when he was focused elsewhere, the display would f fade and it felt like it was in his peripheral vision. It was still there, just not distracting to his focus. It was like a computer display that would only come into existence when he was paying attention to it. The system drop-down menu had many different commands and sub-menus. He found a training simulation and stored it for later. Someone would need to pilot the ship out whenever, wherever it was being held. He eventually found a sensor array. He had the ability to scan just about in, any, in just about any method. It was fully equipped with every detection means possible. He was careful not to activate a scan because those holding the vessel would notice if it began to scan its surroundings. Instead, he looked through the sensor logs. There were various tests of the sensors stored in the logs. It was fairly boring data. But Hayden figured he could use it to figure out the surroundings of the vessel when it was tested. He would make note of all the planets in the area and, and that it may have picked up by the sensors in an attempt to find the solar system where it was hidden. After he picked up enough 
planets caught by the sensors, he didn't even need to cross-reference to figure out the solar system. He knew it so well. The experimental craft was located in the system of Sol, the heart of the Touristicu Empire. All right, that is it for today. Come back next time for some more uh, Touristicu Chronicles. Thank you so much for listening. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.